Small Business and Startup Stories DSM features conversations with small business owners who share both their victories and failures on their path to success. Small Business and Startup Stories DSM is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash smallbusiness. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell. Greg Bailey, welcome to Startup Stories. We find ourselves in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Asking you how this is affecting your business is a bit of a broad question. So let's start with your employees. How are they doing? Thank you, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity to be on Startup Stories. A lot of fun to be with you again, uh, I guess, virtually today, though. Um, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic's been interesting for all of us and a little bit of a scare. But uh, at the times like these, I think that leadership rises, you know, and um, becomes paramount in situations like we're all facing right now. And so, you know, our team, thanks for asking about our employees and our team members, but they're all resilient and handling it quite well, I have to say. Uh, when you run a software company like we do, a cloud-based company, uh, the ability to work virtually or remotely um, is kind of, you know, very basic and fundamental to the business model. And so, it hasn't been too big of an impact from that perspective. Now, obviously, we all missed being around one another. Um, and so that's been real. But we've even tried to do some fun and interactive things like Zoom happy hours. And uh, even here in the Des Moines Metro, I've had a couple of our people over for a backyard socially distant get together about a week ago, uh, where we stayed out in the backyard, you know, type thing. So uh, we've tried to be creative in ways to engage our people and maintain our culture and our kind of our mojo as a team. So were there things you did specifically to help them with the virtual change? I knew they had the capability, but actually working virtual for some people, it's great. I don't mind it a bit for others. It's really, really challenging. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, when you're a software company and we, and by the way, we, already have three locations. And so we're here in the Des Moines Metro. We're also in St. Louis with a uh, kind of a crew of employees there and also in Birmingham, Alabama. And so, um, you know, just the ability to interact with the tool set that we use commonly, right? Whether it's Slack for instant messaging or Zoom for, you know, video meetings and calls um, to other just means of things like, for example, doing front porch drops. So for example, uh, we made sure that our sales leader um, had our sales director has plenty of company swag to be able to do front porch drops for his sales team members, you know, to keep him mo to, to keep them motivated during a time like this when they're all working remotely. Because frankly, salespeople amongst all of us are likely the ones that are the most in need of actually feeding off of the energy of others. Um, and so, uh, the other thing I would just say, Mike, on this question is that we've probably over-indexed for over-communicating and really focused on, as the leadership team, reaching out daily and sometimes multiple times a day. And oftentimes, it's just a quick little Slack message that says, how are you doing or how's your day going? Uh, yeah. Just to make sure that somebody realizes, hey, there's somebody else out there that cares. Yeah. So I want to go backwards a little bit. When you started Denim Labs, Denim Labs back uh, in the original year, what was the original goal of Denim Labs? Yeah, so to make marketing a lot simpler and easier for multi-location businesses that are in regulated industries. So to rephrase that in kind of layman's terms, it's the notion that an insurance company, because that used to be our only and primary market, 
uh, insurance firms being regulated businesses could effectively and easily do mobile and social media advertising on behalf of their entire distribution network. And so oftentimes, if you're an insurance company or an insurance brand, you might have thousands of independent insurance agents or thousands of captive insurance agents or financial advisors across the country. And the ability to localize and personalize that advertisement or um, marketing message on mobile or social media was our, our goal and doing that at significant scale. So how close to that goal did you stay? Because we all hear about startups with pivots and changes. And uh, I mean, up to the end of the year. So up to the end of 2019, how close did you stay? Yeah, we were, look, we were pretty on, on, on point, I think, through the entirety of that, you know, 2015, late 2015, when I founded the company through the end of 2019. So call it four years. I would say this, though, that we continually built on the product. And so you, some would say it was product line extensions. Um, and as a result, we were always trying to figure out what's the next best step that we could build from a product perspective that would resonate strongly with our market and our customers. Uh, so that was kind of our strategy and our approach, building off of kind of the, the original fundamental product with, um, you know, just additional capabilities. I would say this too, though, that... Um, the market shifted a little bit over time in the sense that, uh, and, and for us, it just meant kind of a shift in how we message into the market. So you'll recall well that in 2017, 2018 timeframe, Facebook got into some hot water, especially with data breaches and a firm called Cambridge Analytica and, you know, the whole privacy issues around uh, the usage of data. And so, uh, very quickly, social media advertising became a hot button topic, uh, much more hot button than it maybe is right now in 2020. And because of that, we shifted our messaging to be uh, focused on mobile advertising as opposed to specifically around social media advertising. The product didn't change. The product stayed the same, but the messaging and how we positioned in the market changed uh, to focus more on you know, this phrase of mobile advertising. And Look, we, we thought we were comfortable to using that because more than 90% of all ad placements through our software was done on mobile devices. Now, obviously, we're using social media platforms to do that, but uh, just a slight nuance and a shift in our, our messaging. Interesting. Well, here in uh, May of 2020, the name is now Denim Social, and that's a new name for a lot of us. Uh, uh, what happened? <laughs> well, we were very, very honored, proud, excited to share that we've recently merged with a St. Louis-based software company called Gremlin Social. And so actually happened back in early April, right in the height of the, uh, the pandemic. You know, we finalized the deal and we closed the deal uh, to merge Denim and Gremlin Social. And through that merger, we actually created a new company, a legal entity called Denim Social. And so that's, that's what's happened is we've merged the two businesses into one, which included our team members uh, made it through the transition and now have roles in the combined new company. Um, our two products now working in tandem side by side, um, all of our expertise uh, all merged into one. So we're very excited about that on social. So maybe you, for those who don't, do not know your company and don't know about Gremlin, which I don't know a lot about Gremlin. Can you do a, 
uh, kind of provide a high level overview of Denim Social's value proposition and product offerings. Yeah, you bet. So Denim Social uh, empowers marketers in regulated industries. So again, that focus that I just referenced on regulated industries with the ability to manage their organic social media content and their paid social media advertising all in one platform. And so today, we believe we're the only platform software solution in the, uh, in the business that focuses and brings those two elements together. And then I would add on to that, that we also help marketers manage that across their brand, their branch locations, and their advisor network of individual advisors. And so that's kind of a three-tiered approach. You might think of it as brand marketing is done differently than branch or location marketing is done sure. from from individual advisor marketing. And so we right. handle all of that in the, in the one platform. Interesting. And so how long had that merger been in the works? Yeah, good question. So I first met through a mutual acquaintance and introduction. I first met the CEO of Gremlin Social in the summer of 2018. I'd say, gosh, that's almost two years ago. Like a lot of CEOs of startups, you kind of track each other then over time, right? And we were in similar businesses. Uh, Gremlin Social had been selling into banks and mortgage lenders and some credit unions. Um, that was their primary emphasis. Some wealth management firms as well, but no insurance companies. And, uh, and they had the, the, their software platform manage the organic social media content sharing and publishing of content in a, in a compliant way for those types of entities. Then our platform, of course, was the paid advertising side of all of that. Um, and so we tracked each other for a couple of years, really got serious and down to business about what it might look like to bring our two businesses together in about Q4 of last year, and then finalized the deal in early April of this year, a few months later. I ask who initiated the idea of combining the companies. Yeah. So, um, gosh, I guess it was more of kind of like a, um, I don't know who initiated. I probably did, I guess. Um, as look, I fundamentally have always thought about business growth as both organic and inorganic, meaning, Hey, you can go out and sell, uh, but you can also acquire or you can merge or you can do a number of different activities, right, to grow a business. And so right. um, that's always been a part of my kind of DNA. And so, yeah, I guess, I don't know if I can take credit for initiating it, but um, it's, you know, it was just overall just kind of a, a continuation of an ongoing friendship and conversation between their CEO and myself. So have you uh, personally been through merging companies before? No, I hadn't. Uh, this was my inaugural uh, trip through that kind of M&A process, which uh, was like a, a PhD, I guess, level. But um, all I can say is, and give a shout out to our local attorney that uh, led us through the process. Jason Stone is who we worked with at Davis Brown. Yeah. Yeah. And he was fantastic um, to help. And he represented us through the process on our side. You know, I've been through several mergers and they have a lot of value, but boy, do you have to keep track of the amount of time and effort it takes to put those things together. And the interesting thing for me was the mergers were pretty straightforward, but it's the, what they call the post acquisition integration, which is a really fancy way of saying 
making sure this thing works when you're done putting the paperwork together, because that's hard, uh, yeah. especially when you get in different cultures. I mean, it always depends on how close the culture is. But uh, what type of cultural differences or similarities did you find between two companies? Yeah, so we talked a lot about this question even before getting too far down the path. So this was kind of late last year, having a lot of conversation about who are our teams and what are they on and what are their roles? And then what are the cultures of our businesses? How do we operate? What are the kind of the, the norms of how we interact with one another in each of our separate businesses? Quickly current that uh, the old denim, as I'll call it, Denim Labs, my old company, um, was very, very much a product-centric type company. We focused a lot on product and product market fit and just product feature development, new product capability. And we had a strong engineering on that as well that developed new products and constantly on a cadence ship new product capability into the market. Their company, on the other hand, was driven uh, probably from a sales culture and sales focus. And it was led that way by their CEO uh, in the sense that, you know, their celebrations and their high fives were like you would expect for a young company uh, were really, really focused on signing new uh, frequent new deals and, you know, smaller deals, but what um, deals and we, we talked about how to merge those two emphasis, right? Those two kind of focal points together that right. would look like in a combined. Um, the other side of it is just that uh, I think that you have to be focused on culture as a goal. You know, it's got to be a stated objective. It can't just be left to whatever happens. And I think that's where all too, and especially in startups, all too often that's just kind of the after effect, right? It's just kind of like, Oh yeah. You know, yeah, I guess we have a culture, but I'm not too sure. You know, my approach has always been, you have to be very purposeful and, and focused on it and talk about it and bring it up in conversation and make sure that it's, you're nurturing that culture and, and building it to what you want it to be ultimately. Yeah. I went through a merger where you know, it was two pretty good sized companies. They each had multiple, well, I think we had 800 employees and they had about 1500 and uh, the cultures were completely different. Mm. And the people that decided to put that company together neglected to look at culture. And I would say it delayed the integration of the two companies' product lines and markets by five years. Mm. Um, and losing five years in the market, it just was deadly. Because meanwhile, the, the competitor, which was a fully integrated operating company with a single culture, right or wrong, good or bad, mm. was executing well. And we were spending time trying to figure out how to work together. Um, the group I was with acted a lot like a startup. Uh, the group that we were acquired by acted like a old school um, a military contractor. I mean, they, they were completely opposite. And I hear people, you know, kind of poo-poo culture. And I'm like, you don't understand. You try to do a merger with mismatched cultures and it'll just blow up in your face. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't force fit two different cultures together. It just doesn't work. Uh, you know, I... So I I had a great, to piggyback off your story, Mike, I had a great opportunity several years ago, probably around 2013, I think it was, I studied a little bit at, at Stanford Graduate School of Business. And I took a course there and we had the opportunity to hear from, uh, I think the guy's name is Carlos Brito or Brita. He's the CEO of Anheuser-Busch, Anheuser-Busch, AB InBev. Yep. 
And they had recently just acquired Anheuser-Busch. And, and he talked about this topic about merging cultures. And he, he said basically what you just said, which is one thing you cannot merge is two different cultures. There has to be in every deal, there has to be a, cult, a, a go forward culture that is stated and everybody buys into. Otherwise, they're not going to work out as a part of the team. And right. so uh, that was a real learning for me, even, you know, call it seven years ago when I went through that experience and, and we studied that a bit um, to understand that. But you have to have a go forward culture that's one culture, not trying to put the best, you know, things together from two different aspects. Right. Exactly. So what is your new role in the company? So stated, I'm president and chief product officer. I'm also on the board uh, of the new company. And we also have another individual shareholder here in Des Moines that's also on the board. Um, And so president and CPO, and my day-to-day is focused on kind of three core parts of the business, which are the product part of the business. So I have a product team, I have the customer success team, and I also have the marketing team. Uh, that report into me. Uh, but as you might expect, um, when you're the president of the company, it's kind of, uh, uh, and, and, you know, right now we're at about 20 plus people, 22 or so total, um, yep. and growing quickly. We're recruiting right now, in fact, for a few, few different roles. Um, you know, you get involved in a lot of things. And so whether that was setting up new employee benefit plans to, you know, making sure that we've got all the even post-merger kind of legal documents and, you know, authorities to do business in all the proper states and all these just different right. elements that go into running a business, of course. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So involved, in, involved in all of those and very excited about, you know, just our leadership as well and, and our, our new board and um, just a uh, lot to be excited about right now. Great. So can you tell me what's, what's the merger enabled that you couldn't do before by yourself? Is there a new, did you get a two plus two equals five out of this? Yeah, we really believe we did. In fact, um, um, so from, I'll start it from a product perspective, but there's multiple facets of this, right? But they're very original. And this is probably because of kind of my product orientation by nature. Um, I can remember in the late summer of 2018, their CTO and CEO visited us in our old office right above the partnerships office on the skywalk in, in downtown Des Moines. And so um, we sat for almost an entire day. The, there was three or four of us in the meeting and I went to the whiteboard at one point in the afternoon and I drew a three by three matrix on the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. And I said, and it's kind of this product strategy is one way to think of it. And I said, you know, really what we're talking about in the columns, we're talking about organic content, boosted uh, advertising and paid campaigns, paid advertising campaigns. Those are kind of three different distinct ways to use social media. And then in the rows, I describe brand marketing, location marketing and advisor marketing, the individual. Um, and I said, look, if we have the ability to check all nine of those boxes and provide all nine of those capabilities within one software solution, I looked at the others in the room and I said, I don't think there's any social media management software in the business that checks all of those boxes, especially uh, and specifically for, for businesses that are in regulated industries. Right. And, um, and so we put all of that together and that became 
something I coined early on is the nine box strategy. It's never, you know, oftentimes it doesn't have kind of like these most marketing oriented naming conventions, but it was just, Hey, that's what it is. It's a nine box. And, uh, and so we called it the nine box strategy and that really was that pivotal moment. And that was in, you know, call it late summer of 2018 that we were just brainstorming. It wasn't about, it was probably at that time more about, Hey, what, what if we partnered up somehow? But at the, uh, at the conclusion of it all and merging the two businesses, you know, the products coming together is two plus two equals five. Absolutely. The teams coming together is probably more like two plus two equals, you know, seven or eight or 10. Um, the teams together in the first call it two months now or close to two months uh, have been just absolutely dynamic. It's been incredible uh, to witness and be a part of. And um, yeah. And then I'm, I've talked about culture a little bit, some of the other elements, and then I would talk about customers too. So I referenced just a moment ago, we now serve more than 250 institutions across banking, insurance, mortgage, and wealth management. Uh, those are our four verticals or overarching what we just say financial services. And, um, and that's been just an amazing thing where we could take the insurance companies that we had, you know, brought on as customers from the old denim side and then gremlins, you know, side was focused on banking, mortgage and wealth management. So that's been, again, another kind of two plus two equals five moment. True. True. I would imagine there's a lot of overlap between those verticals in the functionality. There is quite a bit of overlap. That's right. So the first one is the compliance aspects and, you know, for all of those are regulated industries. Um, and who knows someday in the long lost future out there, we may decide beyond even financial services, there are other regulated industries, right? So the compliance controls and workflows and, and archival system, all of these components are, are key to those types of industries. Well, so strategically, what do you see the company's focus with going forward here over the next couple of years? So maximizing what we've already brought together is number one. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to execute now, right? You always have to execute, but it's uh, for us, you know, we've got to just, we've got tremendous upside potential and opportunity just immediately right in front of us now. And so we've got to maximize that number one and make sure that, uh, you know, that we grow quickly which we are, we already are. Um, and, um, and then I would say I just kind of alluded to a little bit of it just a moment ago. There are other regulated industries outside of financial services. Um, that could be interesting. We'll see about that. I think there's also some additional product opportunities that we have that we haven't yet fully vetted, but, um, some product line extensions and some of those kind of things. Um, our team growth will be quite significant, especially right now. You know, most startups aren't hiring much right now. We are, and, um, we've got openings right now that we'll post this week, um, in marketing, in sales, in, um, customer success. Um, and so, yeah, we're very, very, and in engineering, by the way, I shouldn't leave off engineering. We've got a handful of hires we'd love to make in, in engineering. So we're very focused on all of that. So. That's, that's a big part of our next couple of years. Sounds great. So let me ask you, what advice do you have for those running startups during these, these times and going forward? Yeah. Um, keep your head down and stay optimistic. 
I would say that um, one for myself anyway, just think about it. The We started remote working from home on March 9th and we closed the deal in the first week of April. Um, so, you know, I was sitting here at home, not seeing anyone outside of, you know, just zoom meetings, uh, in conference calls. And, you know, it's very easy in kind of these isolated times to get insular and, you know, kind of have this downward spiral type of, you know, mentality. And I, I think staying optimistic and hopeful about what the future of your business is all about staying focused on that is really, really important, especially right now. It always is, but, uh, look, founders are humans also. And, um, and I think that's really, really important. I think leaning on mentors, if you have them or board members or investors, um, I think that's really, really important because your network is somebody, you know, that's people you can tap into right now. Uh, whether it's people like you, Mike, you and I've had a couple of conversations over the last weeks, um, and others around the community. And I would just offer if there are those who would have any interest or think I could be of help to, you know, share anything with, I'm, I'm open to doing that. So um, I think that's really, really important. But at the end of the day, just keep your head down, stay focused on what you know works and figure it out. Get through it. You know, it's interesting. I think in times like this, we have to remember that most startups were built to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And COVID-19 and the resulting um, challenges that come with it create a lot of problems uh, to be solved. So along with the things that are changing, remember there's new things coming up to solve. And thankfully we are in a time of cloud computing when we can solve a lot of problems without having to physically be co-located and build hardware and all those things we used to do in the old days. Yeah, it's such a good point you make, Mike. I'll give you one quick example. So up until maybe like this week, I think most of the branch locations of banks around the U S have been closed. Well, that's been the primary conduit for them to communicate with their customers for as long as you and I can remember. Right. And so now community banks and other types of banks are having to figure out regional banks are all having to figure out, well, how are they going to communicate with the public and their communities and their customers during times like this? And so Luckily, we happen to provide a solution that helps them do that and solves that problem for them. And so uh, it's been, look, in any crisis, there's always opportunity for some. And um, and we've been fortunate to be in that type of position. Well, and I'll add to that that you make your own opportunity. So with that, if people want to get a hold of you after this session, what's the best way to find you? Sure. I'm on Twitter too much. And so they can always find me on Twitter at G Bailey com. That's G B A I L E Y C O M. That's probably the best way or feel free to email me. They can reach me at G at G Bailey.com. Greg Bailey. Thank you for being on startup stories. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the small business and startup stories DSM podcast. Inspired by these stories, we offer a hub full of resources needed for any small business owner to grow and succeed in Greater Des Moines, Iowa at dsmpartnership.com slash small business. Thanks for listening.